Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I am great. All freshened up doing? from vacation? Uh, I am. Yeah. Uh, it worked. Good. It's, ni- <laughs> it's nice when a vacation actually refreshes you as opposed to like drains you. Right. Because the last time you went to Vegas, you went to a conference and you overstimulated your senses, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. This was the opposite. Um, so I was at a lake house and we had like a fire pit and a rope swing and a nice. hammock and played a ton of board games and it was just like relaxation time. Mm-hmm. I realized I had been there for like, I think it was three days and I hadn't put my shoes back on since I'd gotten there. <laughs> That's a good sign that you're yeah. relaxing. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty perfect. Yeah. I was like, my shoes are where I left them when we got to the house. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's cool. I did a re- I did a little mini retreat just camping one night um, with a group of friends up uh, up north in northern Minnesota. Um, friend had a, a cabin on the Mississippi and it was similar where like cell service was sketchy up there. So I really couldn't check things. And I think he had Wi-Fi in his cabin, but I deliberately didn't ask for the password because I like just didn't didn't want to go there. And yeah, it was fun, like swinging in hammocks and floating down the river and kind of does reset you a bit it does it's surprising how just being outside seems to have that impact on me mm-hmm. fresh like more outside time yeah, yeah. nice well, i'm glad uh, it was uh glad it was a good vacation yeah so uh i tweeted something yesterday yeah you went viral yesterday Jeez, <laughs> I, went, I went a little <laughs> viral yesterday um so i tweeted a thing i said so i someone sent me an email actually after he heard us on startups for the rest of us and asked me some questions and I wrote up a response and I was like, hey, some of this is pretty good. Maybe I should turn it into a blog post. And I was like, eh, I'm not going to do that, but maybe I'll just take this part and turn it into a tweet. Um, and so I said, the tweet said, you can passively consume hundreds of articles and podcasts and learn far less than shipping one side project a year. Uh, and yeah, it, got, it, it went a little crazy. It's at like 800 re- retweets right now, um, which is cool. But I am re-experiencing a thing that I have experienced in the past, which is if you say anything on Twitter and it becomes somewhat popular, people will misinterpret it. Not to like whine about having a tweet do well, but I try to word my writing carefully. Basically, a lot of people are interpreting this as me saying, don't consume articles and podcasts, like never consume articles and podcasts, only ship side projects. Oh, and by the way, side projects for sure means open source software that you work on by yourself. <laughs> Community can be funny like that, can't they? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to see people's biases projected onto a tweet. And part of that is not really their fault, right? Like that's like Twitter encourages this sort of like quick response and like skimming everything. And I, I, I sort of don't blame people for it. But I, I find myself in this position of kind of responding to people and being like, I didn't say that. I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I don't know what the source of these people's angst is, like the people who are choosing to have a negative reaction to it. But I think that's usually a good sign that you have said that, like, you're onto something good when there's an equal amount of haters as there are uh, people in agreement with you. you know? I think so, too. I yeah. think so, too. If there's no controversy, you probably haven't said something important. Right. Yeah. Like, you're, you, I think you want a little bit of an emotional, res- emotional response sometimes. Yep. So it could be born out of people like feeling like they don't have time to work on side projects. So now they're lashing out and saying like, this is a ridiculous statement, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I also just think some people are wrong. Like some people are just responding to me and saying like, like some people just learn much more by reading. And it's like, well, I think you can feel like you're learning a lot more by reading. 
but it, I just had this experience in, in so many creative endeavors where you cannot read enough to come close to what you learn by doing a thing in, in most activities, I think. Be it physical activities, be it coding, like like intellectual endeavors, like it's just I think it's just tough. And like yes, you can prime your brain and like put some concepts in it, but you need that first-hand experience. Yeah, by making that statement, you're not saying that you cannot learn anything through reading or reading articles, which is obviously not what you said. But I found this to be true. Where when you're when you're making statements like this, and whether we're talking on a podcast, writing a blog post, or writing a tweet, like you can't. Obviously, you're going to state things in a way that sounds absolute, but it's like poor writing style to just like always put like a sometimes or in usual cases, you know, you just kind of have to make statements and it should be clear people knowing who you are that you're not saying like, this is 100% true 100% of the time. It's like, it's kind of just a rule of thumb, right? (laughs) Right. So, yep. Like it starts with like, you can. Yeah. Like it's not like all people who X experience Y. Yep. But yeah. Nice. Well, well congrats cool. on the that's... virality. It's uh, <laughs> oh, thanks. That was fun. I was like, whoa, that's a lot of that's a lot of activity. Kudos. Yeah. Do you know what the catalyst was? Was it just like did someone really popular know. retweet it or something? Or was yes, it just... I don't know. Well, I don't. Yeah, um, DHH retweeted it. Oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah. and he has like two hundred and fifty thousand followers or something. I don't know how it came across his feed, um, but I, I think that that was when I when I saw that happen is when I I noticed the numbers start to go crazy. Yeah. And then he retweeted me again this morning when I was about me bitching about Medium. <laughs> so <laughs> you're getting uh, all the DHH love today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's cool. And uh, business stuff. I'm uh, working on hiring a designer. I'm talking to somebody right now. Uh, I need some design elements for the course. Like, um, I actually I'm talking to Tom, the phenomenon, the, oh, the Irish yes. car bomb, Obarski, <laughs> about making some bumpers for the videos. So like an intro, an intro and an outro. And so I want some... I, I basically like need a course logo uh, at, at the very least. And probably it's looking like a sales page. It's, it's un, I'm, un, I'm not sure how much custom uh, markup and such I'll need for a sales page because I'm probably going to use a platform that gives you a sales thing, like a WYSIWYG type deal. But I'm going to need some stuff. So I'm in chat. I'm, chat, I'm, I'm emailing some people. And yeah, that's coming along pretty well. I think I'm honing in on what I want to be in this, like the premium tier of the course, like the, the second tier. Um, I really don't, I've said before, but I do not want to launch with a single tier. I just think I would just be leaving huge money on the table. So what I'm thinking right now, and I think I'm going to email my list or at least part of it. I've, I've learned that if you email hundreds of people, you will regret it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like people just process emails slowly. And so like sometimes I ask a question of a list and it's like two months later, someone's like, I think you should do X. It's like, well, thanks. <laughs> But uh, so what I'm thinking right now is so like the base tier will be just the videos. And then the, ne- the next tier up will be the videos plus the source code of all the examples. So I have all that stuff and I have and I made a branch every time I recorded a video. So you can like flip between master and my finished branch and see the diff, which I think will actually be handy. And you can also like play back the commits as I build up the example. So you can kind of see how I work on simple Rails apps. Um, and then also I have... Um, these two side projects, Briefs and Trail Mix that I built over the years, which are actual revenue generating uh, production Rails apps. And those code bases are open source already. People can already go see them. But I was thinking of recording a tour of each of them. So like, here are some interesting points and decisions we made as we built these things. And like, maybe even like, if I were going to come and refactor this class here, I might do this kind of thing. 
with some like and then it's kind of like marrying the refactoring ideas that were generated on example apps but saying like in the real world here's what i might change about this thing and then to continue that theme um, i actually found a nice i found a decent number of open source rails apps that are not amazing code quality wise i think i'm going to do like a, a like another like live walkthrough of just sort of like a tour basically like spend a couple hours making some notes on it and then just walk through it yeah nice so, that's cool i like yeah. that it's a good Thanks. idea yeah um cool so you you vote yes on my on I my do. survey yeah yeah okay i vote yes yeah i've that that touring the app and like pointing things out i've done before as a consulting engagement back when i was a thoughtbot like i had a company send me their rails app and i just like went through and made notes and then had gave like an hour talk on it and i think it was really useful like it's you can actually convey a surprising amount and it, it's particularly relevant because that's their app and like, oh, like, oh, yeah, I know the order creator is a mess, but Ben is pointing out some sp- specific things about why it's a mess and how it could be better. And mm-hmm. so I think it's I think it'll be useful. I bet if you ever wanted to pick up some consulting income, you could probably uh, make some bank doing that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm considering a third tier that is that. Mm, yeah, I don't know for sure if I'm going to do that, but we'll see. But, but something like sort of like a prepackaged consulting engagement for x thousands of dollars where i actually do that for your app and maybe come to your office and pair with people or maybe just do it remotely or unclear but yeah something along those lines over the years like pre getting into drip and all that like when i was considering doing consulting things like it what attracted me the most the most attractive model to me was like the model of flat fee limited scope instead of like some kind of hourly engagement that can kind of spiral out of control i don't know i like the simplicity of like this is what you're getting this is it's basically a product but it just includes a slice of my time you know yep so totally i might put that in there at just at a, a really high price almost just to look make this, the rest of it look cheaper um and then if someone does want it it's like wow okay I, I accept this very high rate i mean you could put too like limited availability like we have 10 slots and that's it for sure you know yeah i would i would definitely limit it i would be surprised if that that tier flew off the shelves but I, I would definitely not just offer my time up on mass like that. Yeah, I've been dragging a little bit on setting up the meetup tour, but that's one of my goals for next week is to actually get get some stuff on the books. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm pretty pleased with how things are coming along. My post vacation week has been reasonably productive. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, so aside from let's see, you're, you're doing design stuff on the the sales page. Um, bumpers on videos so you you're on track then to hit your your launch date you think what did i say my launch date was um i believe it was like was it second week of september i can't remember actually that sounds about right um i don't know i don't think i'm gonna hit second week of september um i think it's gonna be the end of september Uh, i think there's there's actually just enough stuff there and like having to do a design project and video editing and all that i think there's there's just enough that it will it'll take a little bit too long so I think I think I'm about a month out from launch. Do you want to talk about David's thing, or do you want to do some drip stuff and then talk about David? Yeah, I have maybe just a few drip updates, and then we can kind of dive into to that. Um, last few weeks, I've been onboarding a new developer onto the core product team, which has been really uh, really nice. We've been focusing a lot of effort on kind of back end opsy stuff now, like. On the core product side, which is we've kind of subdivided into two teams: one to handle like 
servers and database and all the heavy scaling stuff and then the the team that's kind of cranking out customer facing features it's been pretty much just me and ian nance who was on this podcast uh, a few episodes back interviewed him he's been on the team for a couple of years so he's he knows the code base in and out and so he's really productive on cranking out features but it's really just been me and him pr- primarily focused on features and i haven't written a whole lot of code recently so there's been some a large demand for more developer time on core product side. It's been great just getting a new smart developer onboarded. He's doing really well and feels good. I've been trying to proactively pair a lot just to accelerate his learning of the code base. And um, as may not be surprising, it's been working pretty well. Um, so so another vote for pairing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you been experiencing that nice like new person on the project thing where you're you're like oh this shouldn't be like that you mean like him him noticing things that yeah or you as you just teach him the the ropes and say like this thing's a little bit wonky like why is this wonky by the way yeah i have yeah i I, like i mean we're starting with kind of a quasi admin area task that's a little bit lower risk than a than one that's facing customers and there definitely are some some parts of that code base that are a little bit old a little bit wonky and um the cool thing is I like pointed out some of the areas that were not so good. And then as part of his task, he's done a bit of refactoring, but not in like a, a total bike shedding kind of way where like, you know, 2000 lines of code changed and massive refactor, but like just enough where it's like, yeah, I can still read this diff cleanly and I can see what you're doing and I like it and it's making the code better, but it's not like spiraling way out of scope. I really like that. And like he also... He upgraded our version of RuboCop so that it, it's compatible with like um, Atom plugins for automatically linting as you save files. And he like found a little performance issue where we were we were like stuffing things into an array instead of like freezing it in a constant or something. And um, he was like, "This uh, this appears to be three times faster." And he just like came across it. I was like, "This is awesome! <laughs> I need more of this." Yeah. Is this person? They're they're not remote, right? No, they're they're local here in the office. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's I've been having a good time with that and um yeah, we might be expanding even further. <laughs> Ooh. So, nice teaser. Yeah. Um are you hiring by the way? Like looking for engineers still? We we basically have a a standing job posting because we tend to hire slow enough where I mean, we're pretty particular about looking for culture fit, looking for the right experience it usually takes us on average a couple of months to to find someone we kind of have a steady stream of of people submitting resumes and and going through the pipeline so at this point we're just like probably always going to have for the foreseeable future a standing job posting okay i'm just realizing like we have an audience of rails developers probably so yeah Uh, what makes someone a culture fit partly it's just like uh interpersonal skills like are you easy to work with? Are you easy to talk to? There's like a fine balance we found of people who are opinionated about things that they feel strongly about or, you know, taken to an extreme. You may be so opinionated that it's going to be a constant clash and a constant, you know, desire for that person to change existing patterns in the code base. And now that we're on a mature code base, like that kind of thing could be toxic uh, to the team, you know? So it's like a lot of small things like that. I think someone who demonstrates the ability to search for the right solution and not always just advocate for the solution that they want to happen. Um, Because I think that's been like a a core part of our DNA of our team is like, 
anytime there's a handful of us standing in front of a whiteboard hashing out a problem, basically egos go out the door and we all kind of throw our ideas out there. And the one that emerges as like the clear winner, it really doesn't matter whose decision it was. And none of us walk away feeling like, oh, I just had to, you know, I just had to give up on that one. So now I'm going to fight from the next time and make sure my opinion gets chosen. You know what I mean? It's not like a trading economy of like, okay, I'll give you that one, but I want the next one. It's just like, no, we will always just search for the best solution. That kind of stuff is, it's hard to gauge, but we I feel like it's like, we're getting better and better at it just over time as you interview more people. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do whiteboard things? No, not really. Do you pair with people during the interview? So usually we have the first interview is just uh, discussing just a conversation. And sometimes sometimes we will actually look at code if they have code to demonstrate um, and kind of walk through like, okay, what's an interesting project you're working on recently? And is it something you're able to show us? Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of times people in the commercial software industry can't actually show code, which is just the nature of the beast. But, you know, sometimes it's like, well... It's not like we're stealing anything. <laughs> yeah, if you like copied a couple files out of an app you worked on, is that right. really right? I don't know. Yeah, that, that excuse sounds a little flimsy to me. Yeah, yeah, that's usually step one, and then we will generally do if there is like a question about like specific coding chops, um, we'll usually pay for a test project. So you know, just buy a few of their hours and give them a, a simple project that loosely simulates something that they would really be working on. Um, I'm not a believer in the computer science exercises on whiteboards or binary trees or anything like that. <laughs> so that's cool. I like I like coding projects as a interview tool. Like seeing how someone actually writes code, but not under pressure of an interview. I think that makes a lot of sense. I remember, like, I haven't interviewed in a long time, but Thoughtbot does pairing interviews, and I do remember freezing up a bit during the pairing. And it's just like you just get to this point where like I can't move forward like and then your brain's like oh god you're screwing up stop screwing up like make some progress like i don't know how and it's just i felt myself performing substantially worse than i would normally which means it's like it's just not a great it's not a great signal i guess you can sort of scale for that right if you're an interviewer and say like okay i'm assuming someone's 30 percent more competent than we see in the pairing but right yeah it still feels pretty imperfect yeah i think the closer you can get to simulating real life the better and like when you're pairing with that person after they've gotten the job, they're not they're not going to be under the pressure of an interview. So, if there is interview pressure introduced, then then you gotta you gotta account for that in your evaluation. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So sweet anyways. tangent, bro. Yeah. Another thing that we've been that I've been thinking about lately, um, and I think I mentioned this on a prior episode, is um, just kind of the the level of signal to noise in our notifications that we're getting from all the various <laughs> systems. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this, uh, this is your horse. This yeah. Is the horse you ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing that we've been uh, tossing around is like just allocating a certain amount of time for all developers every week to kind of pull issues out of this bucket that I've been labeling with noise in GitHub <laughs> and just kind of hammering through these maintenance tasks. Most things kind of flow through the normal channels of like they get, you know, we end up finding the best person to work on the project and we assign it and it ends up in their queue in an ordered list and they always know what to pull off next. And this is kind of a separate category where I feel like, um, you know, anytime a noisy honey badger error starts happening and it's not actionable, I want to just file it, label it with noise. And then I would like that to get picked up at a certain point um, in the future, pro- hopefully sooner rather than later, because 
I consider high noise levels really detrimental. So it's it's kind of a break from our normal flow of issue prioritization and assignment. Someone on our team threw out the idea of like just making Monday mornings be like housekeeping Mondays and you just spend four hours a week and hopefully it won't interfere. Like if you're, it's like fresh start of the week, so you're not deep into something already and you can spend a little time working through these and then you can get into your deeper projects. Um, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's like your broken windows. Branding. Right. Yep. Yeah. Because because we, we got we've gotten to the point on certain things like honey badger exceptions where there's this low level of exceptions and it's just annoying enough where certain people have like they're having those emails skip their inbox now because it's like well it's just so noisy and there when that happens you know that you have failed um, because you know undoubtedly something critical is going to come in and it's going to not be on someone's radar so mm-hmm. totally yeah cool I like that idea yeah I think that like regular house cleaning type thing is is really it's when i've done things like that i found it very gratifying because usually it's a fairly quick win at the end of the day and it's just it's satisfying to ship a small thing and know the world is a little bit better and you have an early win in the week and that's just i think that makes a lot of sense yeah i I would not expect any of these to take more than an hour you know to to figure out you maybe write one little test case and scrub that exception out and you know it's it's gonna feel good i think so Mm -hmm. cool Yeah. Nice. Any other drip stuff? Um, no, I think that's it for me for this week. All right. You want to talk about David Cancel? Yeah. So you cue us up. Yeah. So uh, a couple weeks ago, David Cancel was in the lead pages office. So Clay said Cancel. Yeah, I've never heard Cancel before, but and oh. Clay said it actually cancel and cancel, and David did. David didn't correct him either way. So okay. All right. <laughs> Let's go with cancel then. I'm going to say cancel just because that's what Fair I've enough. always said. But it feels more know. natural. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Okay. So anyways, he was in the office uh, a couple weeks ago for a, a actually a company board meeting. And it was just recently publicly announced that he is officially on the, the lead pages board, which is cool. Um, and I've been a fan of David's for a while. He has a, his Seeking Wisdom podcast, which is always full of, of great knowledge nuggets. And uh, yeah, he's a super successful founder, founded four, co- four different companies and sold them and now he's most recently working on drift do you know david at all or anyone from his team i don't actually yeah i've just never bumped into him yeah so anyways, he's a cool guy i got to meet him in person for the first time which was cool um and anyways lead pages puts out a a podcast and video show called conversion cast and there was a special episode recently with david and clay when when uh, david was in town and uh, it felt like it was an interesting conversation. It was about 28 minutes. And one particular part of it that they dove into was Clay was asking David what his um, top 10 items are for determining if you're doing well as a customer-driven product team. Similar to kind of the Joel Spolsky test, the famous Joel test, where it's like, basically, are you passing or failing on these different things? And it's kind of nice to boil it down to like pass, fail, pass, fail to get just a quick gauge on how well you're doing on that front. Yeah, I thought it'd be fun to do that because I think some of them are definitely um, provocative a little bit, like they're a little controversial. Um, and I think David is one to to kind of take a, a bold stand on some of these things. So I thought it'd be cool to talk through some of, these, some of the more controversial ones potentially. Um, and since there's only 10 of them, maybe we'll breeze through some of the ones where it's like, you know, we'll go through all 10 and some of them will be just like, yep, we both agree. And other ones will be 
Sounds good. Yeah. Um, okay. Number one is do your engineers talk to customers weekly? Yeah. And he, he says this is sort of the, the mother rule. Like nothing else works if you don't do this. Yep. I would say that we're not necessarily passing on that front on the drip team today. Like not all engineers are talking to customers weekly. Um, if I rewind back to the earlier days of drip when we were a much smaller team, we were all in support, which was the primary channel through which we talked to customers. And that was definitely invaluable for figuring out like where, what are customer pains? What are they asking for? Uh, keeping our finger on the pulse of, of what our customers need. I think that's definitely, I would agree that that's, that's an important thing to have knowledge of customer pains flowing through all the way into the engineering team. And I think I think we maintain the spirit of that, although we don't necessarily have direct conversations happening with all the engineers. When I heard, read that, like every week, direct engineer to customer contact, that I'm I don't I don't know. Like that sounds like a lot. Like it, that sounds like that's probably pretty good if you can achieve that. But at the same time, I'm not I'm not super skeptical of the idea that you can filter that feedback and contact through an intermediary and still have the point get to the engineering team. Hmm. You're like skeptical. I, I think you, you're skeptical. I, I'm, I'm not skeptical. You're, you're not I'm, skeptical. I'm optimistic yeah. that you yeah. could have some like the support team talking to customers directly and boiling down. Here are our biggest issues currently and have the message get through correctly. So each of these has an implicit cost, I imagine, right? Like interacting with customers is time you're not doing other things. So I'm, I'm not I'm not sure I'm like as extreme on this one as he is. Yeah. Yep. I concur. I imagine this is even more important early days, like when the product is nascent and you are still trying to figure out how to build the right thing for people. I think that direct contact is the highest bandwidth solution. And so and, and that, that information flow is super important at that phase. But later on, as you're figuring stuff out and you think you have a, like the product market fit has been achieved, you that I imagine this becomes slightly less important. Yeah, because you there's a lot of noise in customer communication channels today at Drip. You know, we have 22,000 customers. We have several thousand trial signups a month right now. So there's a lot of people coming through the door and expressing their desires, their concerns, the things that they love, the things that they don't love. And that is a massive fire hose of information. And to just put like an engineer in there and they're going to get a small sampling of that. And it's not guaranteed to be a representative sample. So they may walk away feeling like, oh my gosh, we need to build this new feature. And like people want it really badly today. And I feel like like support people are trained specifically to take this in and put it through the first level of filtering, which is like, well, we've heard the same thing over and over again, but this person's not... They're not within our target market that we're trying to to sell the product to, and we can't please everybody. So we're going to filter that one out, or we're going to, you know, we're not going to let that trickle all the way into the engineering team. So I think having those filter, if you don't have filters in place and you have a massive fire hose of information, it can be, it can be a little dangerous. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that sampling problem is is pretty important. That could be pretty insidious. Like if you don't have the context of other things you've you've seen and you can't establish the relative weight of issues, I, I agree it'd be easy to walk away and be like, we got we to gotta do this thing right now. Number two, do you ship daily builds to customers? Like do you ship every day something that customers see? Yeah. And I would say for the most part, yes. Like does it happen every single day? Do we get a feature shipped? Probably not. But mm-hmm. in general, yes, we... we are pretty close to continuous deployment where we we deploy to production five times a day and on average and usually there's at least something customer facing in there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this seems like a reason, a good goal to me. Yep. I think I have screwed this up in the past <laughs> by not getting a, a good a, a, a good enough cadence. Yeah. Yeah. Want to do number three? Let's do number three. So number three is, do you do customer usability testing two to four times a month? And these can be, he clarified that these could be like high fidelity mockups that could be envision flows or just um, a sequence of screenshots that are from sketch or something. So they're not necessarily like, um, you know, throwing something on staging and actually walking through with real code, but at the very least, um, mockups from design. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this sounds great if you have the person power to do it. Yeah. Because I, having done some of this, I have been shocked at how unclear something I thought was very clear mm -hmm. turned out to be. Yep. Yeah, I think one of the ways that um, I've seen it done internally is using, um, I think it's called Full Story. Um, and it's like, you know, kind of anonymized usage recording. So you can see how where people, what people are stumbling over in the UI. And that's one way to just kind of screen through and see like trying to spot you glaring usability issues and we've also done this uh our design head of design uh will do this more so internally because we have a large enough team and we have we use drip in-house so he'll often take potential new flows and bring them to the marketing team and and have them give feedback and then we'll throw stuff in staging when it's when it's at that point when it's coded up and he will you know stand over their shoulder and watch them use it and i do think it's it's generally valuable i don't know how often it actually changes the feature in a meaningful way it's probably uh, i wouldn't say it's a majority of the time but i think there certainly is some valuable information to come from that you should be doing this early on for sure uh, when you're when you're pre-product market fit and then afterward i think it's a good goal you know to try to to try to do this on a regular basis sure uh, number four is do your engineers handle daily project management work i thought this was an interesting one i'm not quite sure i get i understand his point fully but i think it's the idea that like engineers are managing their own schedules and like knowing when to pull new things off and planning out features and things like that is that how you took that one yeah um so i'm assuming i'm not sure yeah how exactly the the next up things to build end up in the bucket of things to do i don't think it was totally saying that like engineers are the ones that are coming up with what exact features to build and then just doing them totally uninitiated you know but I feel like at the very least, these things need to end up somewhere in a queue where it's like, okay, here's a list of things that we could be working on. And now the engineers are free to pick out the ones that they find interesting to work on. I don't know. I, this is one where I feel pretty strongly that, that you need to have product leadership involved in what's being built next. Um, especially when you're on, when you have small teams, uh, you only have so many resources and, a lot of times in drip features we build are can be large in scope so, you know they may take four to six weeks to build and so if if something ends up being started and it ends up taking a majority of the product teams or the engineering team's time for the next four to six weeks and it's not something that is high priority when you look at it from an overall product roadmap standpoint then i think that can really that can really mess up your cadence um I think it's 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 like the the first thing we talked about where like context is really important and it's easy to not have that context. And, and I've seen that happen even on like small teams, like on Upcase, like at, with two people bringing a new person on the project, and sometimes they would sort of self-select their next thing and open up a pull request. And it was like, okay, like sure, this is fine, but like 
this is not the most important thing. Right. And the cost comes with, like, as soon as code is proposed, like, I always want to make sure that that code is reviewed, that we move it along and it doesn't sit there and get stale. It does happen sometimes, but that's definitely not the way we want to operate. But if something is now like, okay, there's code ready to review and there's a there's a cost to reviewing it, there's a cost to QAing it, to to shipping it, and to iterating on it. And if it's not something that's high priority, then you're potentially paying a pretty high cost for something that you shouldn't be tackling uh, yep. at that and, time. And I think there's another factor here, which is that engineers like to work on interesting problems. Mm-hmm. So if you give them a list of things, I th- they will tend to choose the, the thing that looks like the most fun to code. Right. Which is not necessarily in alignment with what the customer needs. You know, like oftentimes the things that are going to help the customers the most are the most gnarly, like they're the most difficult UI challenges or they're like something performance related where it's just not necessarily that fun to go in and like make this report function 20% faster. It's like that's the dirty work. That's not necessarily the fun work. Mm. I enjoy that work, by the way. Do you? Yeah, the optimization stuff I find really fun. It's very satisfying. Yeah. It, it's you have like such a clear metric of success. That's true. I do like measurability. Like yeah. if you can say, yeah. The more tangible it is, yep. the better. But and like faster, better. Like I just it's like now this thing goes faster. That mm-hmm. it just feels good uh viscerally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Next. Yeah. So the next one is do project managers or product managers and designers work together to test future initiatives with customers? a ways out from engineering actually working on this the, the features. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, people should, like, ideally, they would be spending 80% of their time working on those future things. Yep. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think this is a, this is something you should be doing. It's, this is part, this is a vital part of roadmap planning is looking out ahead beyond what's currently being worked on. And I feel like in, in times where I've been sufficiently distracted with the day-to-day and haven't been able to allocate headspace to to thinking about what's coming next, um, the less, the more anxiety I feel and the less like satisfied I feel that we are on the right track. Um, so I think it's an important, it's an important thing to be doing when you're in a product leadership. Agreed. Position. This is a, a pattern that I saw, uh, work really well at ThoughtBot where the, like on a team of, let's say two developers and a designer, mm-hmm. the designer would try to always be two weeks ahead of development. Yeah. And it just, it, it worked quite nicely. Yep. And I think it's kind of the nature of the way the cadence of work. Like I feel like oftentimes design, the, the fit design phase of a project is most of the time shorter than the development phase of it. So I'm finding just in the normal day to day, we have we have two designers on our team right now and then a handful of engineers working on core product features and usually design's done and then the designers are looking for something next to work on. So we always try to have background threads going of like, okay, what if we were to reimagine the the whole outer chrome of the app and and how could we reorganize things to be more intuitive and and just like larger scale projects that are not necessarily going to happen right away but things that are good to have on the radar and for future planning and to to gradually work into the product um so i think it's a natural fit with the designer cadence as well Mm -hmm. um for the next two i don't really have much thoughts on them did you want to do you have thoughts on either of those if not i would say skip them and go to eight Number six, I think, is is less interesting. Number seven um, is, are all engineering teams working on customer-facing product features? I feel like this one is pretty controversial because like, we have recently subdivided into two teams. Um, 
we have a core product team and we have the backend team. The backend team is is spinning up servers. It's like doing low level like operating system metrics tracking, um, all those kinds of things. And I think what he's proposing is that each team that's working on things should have someone who's that low level and then also someone who's working on on um, you know kind of application level code and designers. So like slicing vertically as opposed to horizontally in the stack. And that doesn't sound very feasible to me. Like as we, we, that was kind of how we operated where we all kind of worked on all the way through the stack, all the way down to server administration. But as we've needed more rigor and, you know, we, we now have 80 servers, things are much more complex to manage. We've needed a team of, we've gradually moved towards having a team of specialists who are focused on that end of the stack. And I'm not sure it's really important for a, someone who's working on low level DevOps stuff to be like, talking to customers daily and thinking about like some new toggle switch to add to the app. You know what I mean? Yeah, I so. agree. It, yeah, it seems seems a little extreme to me as well. I, I could, I believe in the value of that specialization. That makes a lot of sense to me. So number eight is, did you replace your internal engineering metrics with customer metrics? So the idea is, do you only give credit for customer uh, customer facing metrics like churn or issues or adoption or revenue, NPS, things like that? The opposite in his mind was like releases or pull requests or whatever like don't measure your dev team based on like code produced but actually things that customers care about i don't actually haven't like heard that explicitly framed that way but i think that makes a lot of sense i think that i think it's a good way to think about it yeah i like that i mean we've we've talked before um internally like just just kind of thought experiment of like what what are the key performance indicators for a development team and how can we measure it because people who think operationally want to have those kinds of metrics for all their teams. They want to know like, all right, how are they performing and can we put a metric on it so that it's measurable and consistent and it's not totally subjective. I struggle even today finding a single metric that actually makes sense for a development team. It's certainly not hours worked in a day. It's certainly not number of commits or lines of code changed. It's not number of pull requests even because that varies depending on the scope. So what is that? And I think Ultimately, for the most part, it doesn't matter. What matters is how is the customer being impacted by the work that the product team's doing. So yeah, I I on a whim I asked Kent Beck if he had a metric for developer uh, productivity, and he said something like, "Not yet, but I've only been at this for thirty years or so." Yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "All right, well, yeah." Kent Beck still doesn't know. It's we're it's probably not a useful chase. It feels like it would be really difficult. Like I, I like that the focus is on the customer facing things. Although I feels like it would be real hard to be like, okay, uh, this development team, uh, what? How did you impact churn this month? Like it feels like it would be hot, hard to associate those things. Like a noble goal, but how do you actually tie them together? Yeah, I think it. I think trying to attribute any kind of high level metric like that to a specific team is like not gonna ever work um yeah so so maybe it's more like you reward the engineering team as a whole based on like improvement of customer facing metrics without trying to attribute it to specific efforts by people but say like hey like churn is our problem too or nps is our problem too yes number nine was do you rotate engineers into support Mm -hmm. he says yeah so apparently at drift all their engineers start off doing weekly support and then after they do a certain amount of that, they graduate and then they, but they still are rotated into support on some sort of ongoing basis. Yeah. So this one, I, I again, I feel like early on is um, something you should totally be doing. We all kind of were in support 
regularly in the early days of drip for the first couple of years, I would say. Um, gradually, it becomes, like we talked about earlier, a massive fire hose. And I think that sampling problem is still a real thing where like, if you're only seeing 1% of tickets come through and you know, those people are particularly vocal about something that's not a representative sample. So I think, I think the danger is still there. And I, I also feel like you got to be careful with this because it's like support flows are definitely much different than, than like deep focus engineering type of flows and context switching is a real thing. So I'm always leery of, of disrupting engineer prime time, I guess. The even if you blocked it out so that there was no context shift, I, I still am a little skeptical of this one because to me this this devalues the skill of providing good support to some degree. I'm not that good at support, I would say. And like when I was doing support for ThoughtBot products, it was not as good as when we hired a support person. He was better at it. Uh, and so I get that this is like a nice way to ensure you've got that. But this is one way to make sure your engineers engineers are talking to customers weekly. Uh, and it might be a good kind of like onboarding type thing. But yeah, it's like your engineers are, are probably not going to be great at this job. So why drop them into it on a regular basis? Yeah. I mean, I found for myself, you know, I tend to think through problems from an engineering perspective. And nat- my natural inclination is when I hear when I hear one little usability issue, I want to get on it and fix it. Like, Like I naturally want to do that. But a lot of times there's some workaround that's maybe not perfect, but it's good enough. When I see support telling them, oh, no, we can't do that exactly how you're describing, but here's a here's a small workaround. The customer's like, great, love it. And they're satisfied. Mm-hmm. And right. my my perfectionist engineering side of me is saying like, oh, but that's a subpar thing. And the customer is probably not going to be ultimately satisfied, but I can make them even more satisfied when really like support's like, no, 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 we've we've tested this and we've discovered that this workaround is perfectly fine and customers don't care. And so right. it's like, I think you could. You're like, but there's a nail there and I have this huge hammer. Right, Exactly. One of the good things about engineers having contact with customers is they get start to get a sense for what really is important and what's not. And um, I think they they mentioned an anecdote about this. Clay brought it up where someone, an engineer, was proud of the fact that they had spent time optimizing the performance time of a color picker on the lead pages builder. And you know, if he would have been talking to customers, he probably would have realized that that was not a good use of time because, like, if it if it took a few milliseconds longer, the customer doesn't even care, right? I don't know. I think I still think there's ways to get this transferred without necessarily requiring everyone to be answering support tickets, whether it's like shadowing support or just having regular contact with the support team. Um, yeah, I think there's there are certainly multiple ways to to get at the same ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Number 10 is do you celebrate customer facing releases every week or month? Oh, yeah. Launch juice. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty into that. <laughs> you want to say what the launch juice thing is? Yeah. So we have uh, way back a few years back, we subscribed to one of those little snack box things. And um, most of them were pretty ridiculous. Like, I don't know, like these kale based snacks that had no flavor. And like, um, but one of the lasting um, things we discovered through there was this this uh, apple cider vinegar called fire cider. that has like habanero in it and a bunch of other really spicy things. Um, and now it's a tradition where when we ship anything customer facing or just any any big deal we need to celebrate on the drip team, we all take a shot of fire cider. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like it. Yeah, that's a lasting. That's tradition. a nice tradition. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's like a nice little cultural thing. Like you get to be on the inside and you you know what the tradition is and how it works. I think the bigger point here is 
deciding what you reward is such a great way to set the direction for a team. Like you can say, our goal this quarter is to do X, Y, Z, but it's really like what you what people receive recognition for in front of their peers that I think gets done more often. We're just we're wired for that, and it just works really well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think yeah, if they if they tend to be things that you know things are rewarded, especially when they when the value translates all the way down to the customer is is a good way to help everyone on the team always be thinking about like ultimately why are we doing this? We're doing this to serve our customers well, and they're the ones that ultimately like bring in the revenue and they pay all the bills so um <laughs> yep. yeah they pay for the fire cider yeah exactly <laughs> cool so uh we'll link up that video in the notes it's worth watching it's yeah, interesting for sure and uh yeah i think that's it for this week yeah i think so all right man it's good talking to you you too if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode you can go to artofproductpodcast.com Hey, everyone, before we go, just one quick administrative note. Uh, Derek and I are going to take the next week off. It's the middle of summer. I'm traveling. So we will not be releasing a podcast next week. But after that, we'll be back on our normal schedule. And we'll see you then. Thanks. See ya.